Blog Talk Radio. This is Franchise Today, brought to you by FRM Solutions, providers of the best-in-class software solutions for franchise relationship management. Franchise Today is your destination for weekly information, conversations, and interviews with accomplished industry leaders, all of whom share best practices for sustainable growth and sensible franchising. Here now, your host, Stan Friedman, to kick off this week's podcast with the Solink front of the house. Yes, this is Franchise And it is Wednesday, June 5th, 2019. I'm Stan Friedman, coming to you today from my home base in the beautiful Marietta, Georgia neighborhood um, here in the Atlanta community. In just a few minutes, I'll be joined by my guest this week, Kevin Wilson, CEO of Buzz Brands, and a guy who I think has the, the most random LinkedIn profile I have ever seen, with the possible exception of my own. More about that in just a minute. But first, it's time for the front of the house, where before I ask my co-producer and good friend Ryan Hicks to brief us on his trip to New York last week for MFV's International Franchise Expo, I want to take the time first to shine the spotlight once again on yet another MFV program, and that is the Best Franchisee of the USA competition, which will culminate in October of this year and see the winner here in the USA go on to compete in Florence, Italy for the best franchisee of the world honors. There are some nine countries that are participating in this competition, and as I've said, it's all being produced by MFV Expos. The USA winner will get an all-expense-paid trip for two to Florence, Italy, to then compete in the best franchisee of the world competition in December. And, by the way, His or her nominating franchisor also gets a free trip to Florence for the crowning of the best franchisee of the world. Now, here's the important thing for you franchisors to note. This competition is not about your biggest franchisees, nor is it about your most profitable franchisees. What the judges, including yours truly, will be looking for in the nominated franchisees will be how these franchisees have used the franchise business model as a vehicle to improve lives, their lives, their employees, their customers and communities and charitable causes that they serve. There will be five finalists for the best franchisee of the USA. So think about who in your community should be nominated from within your organization. And that criteria is all that you really want to be thinking about is community-minded servant leaders that are franchisees in your community. It's simple to nominate. You simply go to www.bestfranchiseeoftheworld.com and click to nominate. It's as easy as that. But I'll link the info up again at the Franchise Today Facebook page along with the video for those of you that require visuals. The entry fee is only $495 per nomination, and each franchisor can nominate as many as five franchisees. You can pay it online and just provide the name and contact info for the franchisees you're nominating, and MFV will take it from there. Your franchisees will get a brief questionnaire. They'll answer those questions, and the information then gets passed on to we, the judges, who will make our final selections. And speaking of the judges, as indicated, I am one, but I'm joined by the esteemed franchise attorney, Amy Chang of Chang Cone, 
Dr. John Hayes, the franchise chair at the Titus Center for Franchising at Palm Beach University, Eric Stites, founder and CEO of the Franchise Business Review, and Therese Tilgen, co-founder and president of Franchise Update Media Group. We are a proud group of your franchise peers that, like you, want to do your brands, your franchisees, and those employees of your organizations proud. So what are you waiting for? Click on the Franchise Today Facebook page, and remember to like us while you're there, and then click on the video or the website link to get more entry information, and I sincerely hope that you each nominate several of your best. Then we, the judges, will make our determinations and we'll hope to see you at the top, as Zig Ziglar, one of the great motivators of all time, might say. So don't miss out on this opportunity to shine for yourselves, your networks, your franchisees, and franchising in general. And with all of that said, I'm going to ask my co-producer and friend Ryan Hicks if he would pot up his mic, if you please, and give us a, a rundown and a brief summary of what you saw this year at the IFE, Ryan, the first one in 21 years that I've actually had a miss. Hey, Stan. Yeah, wow, 21 years. Uh, this was my sixth IFE, so I have not seen as many as you. Um, but I thought it was a very successful show. Um, there were over 350 franchisors exhibiting, as you know, usually between 350 to 400 and some odd franchisors um, showcasing their opportunities. I spoke with a lot of brands that were very happy with the traffic. And when you're looking at budgeting, whether it makes sense to invest in bringing the team or not, it really boils down to whether or not you can get deals from the show. And most do. Um, the networking at the event is incredible. Um, as you know, Stan, you, you usually host um, different educational workshops, but there are, a ton, there are over 70 different workshops that go on. Um, so everything from securing funding to budgeting to understanding new technology. And so I popped in a few of those. My favorite this year was uh, there was a workshop on the, the for emerging brands. Um, aisle 11 or actually aisle 11 and 12 at the show were dedicated to emerging brands, but um, it was put on by Spring, our friends at Springboard and uh, we had it, on the panel, it was uh, Alex Samuels from Dogtopia, um, Dan uh, Dizio, I hope I'm saying his name right. His story is incredible, but from Philly Pretzel Factory, Ryan Combe, and, and they shared um, some stories, everything from who to hire first and to, to really unpack the essence of, of what's important at the beginning stages. And, and really, it kind of boiled down to the story. Like what is the story of the brand and, and actually connecting with the prospects and understanding this is a 10-year marriage in most cases. But a very successful show, a lot of successful workshops, and uh, some very, very good traffic. So I thought it was a big success. Great update, Ryan. Thanks for sharing that with us. And that, friends, is the Link front of the house brought to you by Link, a company that provides amazing loss prevention technology for restaurants and retail. In fact, I describe Solink as having done for loss prevention the equivalent of what Apple and Android have done for cell phones. They've made these tools smarter. Whether you operate a single unit or are operating multi-unit empires, or whether you are the franchisor or executive of a restaurant or retail brand that has unit-level economics on his or her mind, you need to learn more about Solink. When deployed, Solink's technology captures instances of exceptional behavior at all of your sites. Solink then records everything that goes on in the front and the back of the house 
and utilizing its gold standard algorithms creates reports that direct your attention to the very specific video clips that it's captured so that you may view these events. This eliminates the need to review hours of tape to identify these situations. And what's best is that Solink does all the heavy lifting utilizing your existing point of sale and security equipment. There is no new hardware needed to put Solink to work for you. As always, you can find out more about them online at solink.com. That's www.solink.com. And now for today's guest, I'm joined today by Kevin Wilson, CEO and chairman of Buzz Franchise Brands, where they're building companies that get people talking. Buzz is a multi-brand franchising company providing services to the home. Their current portfolio of brands include Pool Scouts, a pool cleaning and maintenance concept, Home Clean Heroes, a startup in residential home cleaning, and their most recent acquisition from my good friend Rita Goldberg, the British Swim School. So with each of these being early stage concepts for the most part, you may wonder, what's this guy doing on Franchise Today, where the mantra is always about conversations with those who have achieved sustainable growth through sensible franchising. Well, here's the reason. You see, none of these brands are why I've invited Kevin to the program today. Our focus today is more on Kevin and the Buzz, Buzz franchise brands, based on his accomplishments and successes that led him here today. You see, with over 25 years of experience in business, that's included time as a consultant, an entrepreneur, an executive of a large company, and even a venture capital investor, Kevin's passions lie in building and, and creating strong teams of people and then supporting the successes of the brands that they serve. While each of these that I've mentioned is an emerging brand, Kevin is no theoretical newcomer to franchising. Prior to this, he spent six years building the iconic Mosquito Joe to more than 290 open locations and had 60 more teed up in development when he sold the whole shooting match to the Dwyer Group or Neighborly for what I'm sure I know is an undisclosed but probably ginormous amount of money. So, folks, this guy's been there, he's done that, and he's getting ready to share with us today how he's poised now to do it all again. Kevin, welcome to Franchise Today. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for that introduction. It's great to be with you today. So before we begin unpacking all that we've got to talk about today, I made a crack at the top of the hour about yours being the closest thing to random that I've ever seen in a LinkedIn profile, except perhaps from my own. I mean, come on, you're a native of Western Ontario, Ontario or Ontario, I'm not sure the right way to say that, a graduate with honors from an esteemed school of business. You went on to become a Bain consultant before becoming an early stage franchisor, CEO and founder of, of all things, Benny's Bagels in Dallas, Texas. Then you moved on to become an executive vice president of South African Airways in Johannesburg, ahead of becoming a senior managing partner of a couple of private equity companies and commuting regularly in Mexico. All of this led to leveraging a lot of experience in 2012 when you bought out the founders of Mosquito Joe and then grew it to a hugely successful franchise company that you were then able to flip to one of franchising's iconic giants. So as far as LinkedIn profiles go, Kevin, I bow to you and I hand you the crown. <laughs> Mine's still <laughs> random. 
But with everything from working with pro athletes and advocating for diversity to chairing the National Buffalo Wing Hall of Fame, I still can't come close to your profile on LinkedIn. The honors are all yours, but it also validates why you're here today and how much this audience can learn from the hour you've agreed to spend with us. So I do thank you and appreciate you a lot. Well, thanks. I appreciate that. You know, I, I certainly could not have mapped that uh, that journey out if if you had asked me when I was getting out of school back in 1990, what would that journey look like? Uh, it re- I really had no idea. But uh, but it's been a lot of fun. I've really enjoyed it. I've learned a lot along the ways, and and most importantly, I've met a lot of great people and uh, whose whose relationships I still have to this day. So it's been it's been a lot of fun. Well, you just raised the point that kind of segues right into the, how these interviews start every week. Um, we always quip that franchising is unintentional and that people don't go to school and study for it. So it kind of th- it's the kind of thing that finds us and that we back into. And I'd like to start today's conversation by asking you to take us back to the time and place, uh, what it was you were doing when that happened for you, and walk us up from there. Sounds good. I was um... – you know, I was working in Dallas, Texas for, for Bain and Company. And for, for those of your audience that, that doesn't know Bain, it's, it's, a, it's a very large uh, multinational con- strategic consulting firm. So it was made famous when Mitt, Mitt Romney ran for president. He, he was the, at one point the CEO of Bain and Company. So I was working for Bain uh, largely in the airline industry, but also had a, um, had a hankering to get into my own business. I've always uh, prior to and while in university and even prior to that, during the summer, I always had jobs that I created or businesses that I created for myself, whether that be shingling roofs, black topping driveways, uh, cutting lawns, whatever it may be. I always wanted to do it on my my own. So I had that entrepreneurial bug. And so during my time at at Bain, beyond the 80 to 100 hours a week I was working with them, I was also looking and thinking of new ideas, and, and, and bagels at the time was something that was um, that was really popular on the West Coast, certainly popular on the East Coast, and had been for a long time. We had started to see brands like Brugger's emerge and others, um, but there was nothing in Dallas, nothing in Texas at the time, and so I, uh, I put a plan together, uh, partnered with uh, two, two people that I've known for, uh, for most of my life. They went and got the experience, and then we opened up our first first bagel store in uh, in Addison, Texas, back in 1995. And um, the, the the thought at that point it was a little unclear as to where where we were going to go, but we wanted to look into franchising as a way to scale the business. I, I think a lot of entrepreneurs have this um, this 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 point where they have to decide: do I do I do it corporately or do I gr- do I grow uh, through alternate means? You know, and, and it usually comes down to money for the most part. In my mind, we were still very young at the time. We had enough money to get one going, but to get several going and beyond that, that was going to be difficult. And so I called up uh, somebody, probably many of your uh, members will know, audience will know is, uh, is Ann Hurwitz. And I stand, I know you know her. Absolutely. Um, Ann, Ann is, a, uh, is, a, is, a, is a wonderful person and, uh, and a great attorney. And so she, she took the time and, um, educated me on franchising. She was also generous enough to introduce me to a, a gentleman named Joe Croce, who was the uh, owner and CEO of CC's Pizza. And I struck up a relationship with Joe and, and learned a lot about the business from, from him at the time. Um, and so then we embarked on franchising. And, uh, and, and that, was at the, that was the first time where we, we brought people on 
Uh, it was a different time back then, as, as you remember, but we enjoyed it. We grew the business. We grew Benny's to about 30 locations, largely throughout the state of Texas. Uh, and then an opportunity presented itself to um, to uh, to sell the business, and we we took we took advantage of that. Uh, but it was it was I you know it was it was I enjoyed it. I learned a lot, and I learned a lot because you know we made a lot of mistakes, <laughs> and we made a lot of mistakes that you know when after we made them you know we we'd go back and we'd we'd understand how we made those mistakes, and vowed never to make them again, at least not the same ones. And so um, a lot of what I've applied to where we are today, several, you know, 20, 25 years later, uh, were lessons I learned back then at, uh, at Benny's. So that's really where franchising bit me. I took a bit of a detour uh, over the course of several years before I got into franchising. Actually, that's not completely, completely true. I did, um, I, I ended up becoming a franchisee of CC's Pizza with my brother-in-law. He operated the stores. I, I effectively served as the, the CFO. So we never really, I never really have left franchising. I, you know, I was, when I, when I was uh, in private equity, we made several investments in franchisors. We were always looking at franchising business plans. Um, and then it wasn't until 2012 where I, I dove back in with both feet and, um, and, and, and purchased Mosquito Joe and grew it from there. So, so that's yeah. I guess the journey's been since 1995. I've, uh, we're going to talk. We're going to talk a little bit about Mosquito Joe, and um, but you shared a story with me in preparation for today's podcast about how I think even when you were with Bain, I mean the bagel business took a bite out of you that didn't quit. Right? You were looking every market you went into on a Bain assignment, and what did you do? Yeah, every you know, with, with Bain, you're, you're traveling to cities all over all over the country. I made a habit of researching, you know, what were the best bagel stores in that city at the time. I'd get up a couple hours early and I would try to hit them all before the business day started. So it was an opportunity for me to see both the quality of the product, how they were positioning it, what the really everything. So got a, got a chance to take a look at uh, competition from all over the country. All right, so I want to talk not a whole lot about Mosquito Joe, but it is a, an important element of the discussion because today's focus really is on how franchisors, just like a good franchisee, has got to have infrastructure and people and tools, and a lot of those are provided by the Zor. But a good franchisor too, especially if he's going to be a multi-unit, more multi-branded franchisor, has got to have people, teams, uh, core competencies, um, so for the audience, I want you to help them understand, even with Mosquito Joe's beginnings as a singular brand before you started bringing others on, um, I get the sense that you're someone who begins with the end in mind. So talk a little bit about that early days of Mosquito Joe and what you were planning for even as early as then with a single brand. Yeah, sure. Um, so in, in researching different opportunities, I, I literally stumbled over Mosquito Joe. It was a, uh, it, it had started a couple of years earlier. They had two trucks in operation, a couple hundred customers servicing our area. And I didn't know even much about the industry at the time. Uh, but the guys that owned the business had shown an interest in selling it to me. Um, I then went and looked at the competition. Mosquito Authority was one that had a head start on us by quite a ways, and so was Mosquito Squad. Um, and what I saw, I really liked about it. There was lots of growth going on. I felt like in both cases with Squad and Authority, uh, they were doing things that 
I would not do. They were making what I would call sort of rookie mistakes on um, in some areas, and I just felt like we could deliver a a better uh, a better investment offering opportunity to to candidates around the country. And so, um, but I wanted to do it differently than the way I had done things before. You know, I, in private equity, I learned you know how useful money can be to help scale businesses. And so you you know everybody sees you know the Amazons of the world and all these businesses they're they're they, they never make money but they're they're scaling 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 and then they can turn on making money quickly. So you know to your point Stan with the end in sight I put a business plan together and over the course of the next uh 6 weeks I went out to folks that I know, people I've known in my career and raised three and a half million dollars to launch Mosquito Joe. And so with that three and a half million dollars, I went out and recruited a team of four other people. In addition to myself, um, we, uh, we rebranded the business. We got the documents put in place for franchising, the operations manuals. Um, we got everything prepared from June of 2012 until the end of, um, the end of 2012, and then in early 2013, we recruited our first franchisee. But when you go out to raise money from investors, investors, you know, they've got, an, they got a, a time horizon for when they want to uh, get their capital back, uh, and they want to see a well-thought-out business plan. And so that's what, that's what I delivered to each of them. And so they were, each individual was effectively an investment committee of one, and, and they decided whether or not they wanted to invest in the opportunity. And you know, we were able to raise a lot of money in a short period of time. Uh, I feel like we've we put that to good use um, over the next few years, and um, and then we launched it. We learned a lot, um, and uh, and we began to scale the business. So we certainly had the end in sight. Um, the business plan, um, surprising. I say surprisingly because most people, when they build business plans, they look back on it, you know, five years later, and they say, you know, this turned out to be nothing like what we thought it would be. Um, that wasn't the case with Mosquito Joe. Uh, Mosquito Joe turned out to be um, better than what we thought it was going to be, and um, part of that was driven externally with some of the some of the private equity markets. But in terms of hitting our open unit count, our sold numbers, uh, the average unit economics for an individual franchisee, all of those estimates were pretty darn close. So, so at what point in the journey did you start? thinking about adding brands and then start thinking about the birth of buzz as a, an overarching umbrella company that would be a back-end support mechanism for multiple brands. Yeah. So that happened in probably 2015. Um, you know, my team and I, we went off site and we, we had a, we had a, a single question we wanted to answer, which was why, you know, why was why were we having the success with Mosquito Joe that we were having? And so there was the natural answer that came up, which was, well, it, the, the industry's positive. You know, it's it's an emerging it's an emerging industry. You know, we got the sun in our face, the wind at our back. Um, you, you know, and I said, well, that's that's true, but but that doesn't explain why we are outgrowing our competitors, Mosquito Squad and Mosquito Authority. You know, literally blowing by them and any any head to head any head-to-head -head battle we have for franchisee candidates, we were winning them. So what explains that? And so as we began to peel the onion back further, you know, we started looking internally and we said, you know, what explains that is uh, the quality of the team that we put together, you know, our commitment to 
helping our franchisees be successful. Our focus on being a franchising business, a franchising company, and not going out and adding corporate territories or corporate locations. Um, there were a lot of things that explained it. And so we, the, the conclusion from that conversation was, well, if, if we can do this with outdoor pest control, we could probably apply these same principles, techniques, tools, approaches to other other businesses. And so we we, we said, well, let's, let's focus on the home service segment. You know, we, we understand route-based businesses. We understand how to market to the homeowner. Let's focus on that. And then what bubbled up to the top was, was things like um, uh, Pool Scouts, which we started. And then a year later, we began incubating uh, home, clean, home Clean Heroes. And so, you know, we thought through our shared services model. And we looked at those things that distinguished us. And, and, uh, and then we, we, we just we, we began to grow from there. And then, as you pointed out earlier, most recently, uh, about a month ago, we, 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 we stepped outside of that area a little bit. And we purchased um, British from school, so that's that's where we are today. But really, that was the that was the genesis of becoming a multi-brand franchisor. Is this acknowledgement that we're we're doing things a little bit differently, and it seems to be working well. Before we go to our break, I want to uh, ask you to spend a minute on the infrastructure and how you chose people to become part of that group of four, um, and even your your middle management people, the selection of people to be on your team, not so much just franchisees, but internally, how do you, uh, how do you view that and talk a little bit about the cultural requirements that are part of your world of Buzz Franchise Brands? Yeah, I appreciate you bringing that up. I mean, culture, culture is a very big thing for us at Buzz Franchise Brands. And so it's, uh, you know, to get a job here, it's a pretty rigorous, um, you know, interview cycle that go through pretty much anybody that wants to have a job here. I interview everybody as does, as does my senior team. And so, you know, really what we're looking for by the time they come here to the office, the screen of a, of an individual has been more on competency. You know, do they have the abilities to do the job that we're asking them to do? The, the second part of it is when they come here, uh, we'll ask things like that. We'll put them through, um, you know, interviews like I went through when I went to Bain and Company, we, we would do what we call case studies, you know, and, and the idea on a case study is to ask somebody a question, you know, tell me how you would determine what a, um, what a McDonald's does in annual volume every year. And, and I don't want them to guess a number that, oh, it's a million four because I read it in the Wall Street Journal yesterday. I want them to walk me through how they think about solving that problem. Because a lot of what business is about, whether in anything, franchising, anything you're in, everybody's being put in a position where they're having to make decisions and they're usually having to solve problems. And I want people that can really think on their feet well, that can also think through how to put an analytic framework together to solve a problem. And so having, having some analytics is an important part. And then on the fit, it, it's really, is this somebody that we believe will be you know, be a good team member, participate in a lot of the events that we do, both internally and outside the office, uh, and help build the culture. So that's what we do. You know, we've got a, um, I've got a senior team that I rely on heavily. They've been with me for a long time. Um, all of them are uh, owners of Buzz Franchise Brands. We have an incentive unit plan that we've created that we share with our senior senior team. Um, and all of them invested money in the business as well. And so we run Buzz Franchise Brands a little bit 
you know, not a little bit, very similar to the way a private equity fund would run a portfolio company. So we have we have a board of a board of managers. We believe in a strong governance process. Um, we prepare materials for those for the board. That's all part of our part of our culture, part of our part of our approach to to building a business, doing it in a very professional way. So I, I sort of rambled there for a little bit. I covered a lot. No, but not at all. Not at all. I I really appreciate the depth of the of the answers and the thoughtfulness of of the answers that you're giving to those questions because I really believe that it's important for those that are listening to understand that your private equity background has prepared you for things that some in the audience haven't even contemplated. And so it's important, the cultural aspects of building a team and even with private equity, bringing in private equity that's in alignment with your own values is critically important. It's not just the money. So I think it's, you can't state that enough for those that are listening that when you're out there and we had this conversation just prior to airtime in the green room, we were talking about private equity and, you know, what makes it good, bad, or, or, or ugly. Uh, it's not just the money. It's the alignment of vision and values and the money. And when those all come together, then you've got a partner that just like franchising, when it all comes together, it's not linear in its lift. It's quantum. It's quantum leaps. So we're going to talk more about that and a whole lot more about the brands that are under the Buzz franchise portfolio and where things are heading going forward. But we're going to do that after we take a quick break. Franchise Today will be right back. But first, a word from our sponsor. And Franchise Today is produced and presented each week by FRM Solutions, providing best-in-class CRM and document management software designed specifically for franchising. FRM enables real-time business intelligence, communication, and collaboration between all members of the franchisor's team and their prospective and existing franchisees. This empowers your team to simply and seamlessly track, access, and manage all communication to and from the prospective and existing franchisees, including techs. Legal and compliance is simplified, too. With FRM's document management and even site visits can be digitally facilitated and scored with FRM. Make today the day you give FRM a look and assure that all of your candidate and franchisee correspondence, including texts, are being permanently tracked and archived in candidate and franchisee records. FRM even provides state-of-the-art digital experiences for your prospective franchisees, replacing old-style virtual brochures. No long-term contracts are required. There are multiple upgrades each year at no additional cost. No excuses, just solutions on the web at frmsolutions.com. So we've kind of laid down a great foundation for uh, you individually, for your company, as a a portfolio company and and now three young brands that are going to emerge with no doubt. I mean, if if I had this conversation with someone other than uh, a visionary who has taken a company from uh, a local operator to 290 plus 60 on the way, um, I might not think there's a whole lot going on beyond dreams, but we're talking realities here of what you've accomplished. And now here you are, Planting seeds again. Um, I think British Swim School probably has 
how many well how many units are they they are probably the largest of the three right yeah, they are the largest of the three. They have uh, they have about a hundred locations with about sixty five franchisees. So that's a pretty respectable number. I mean, that's that hundred threshold is always a a mile marker that we look for to say I think they've kind of figured it out by there. Um, so that's a larger company. The other two, though, you started you started the home cleaning concept as a startup, complete startup, isn't that right? Yeah, that's exactly right. That was that was right from you know, buying a, you know, buying a couple of vehicles and, and doing it ourselves. So that's a, um, that's a, that's a, that's a business uh, this year that'll do close to 900,000 of revenue in our local territories um, and something that, you know, we wanted to prove out the concept. So that is, uh, we've historically incubated the brand, um, but that is going to be starting to franchise really, you know, now we're, we're, we're just looking at that. We, we really feel like we figured that business out and we got a good repeatable, uh, customer acquisition model. We got the operations down sound, so we feel really good about that. And Pool Scouts has been at it now a few years. They've got um, they'll have 30, 30 plus locations open this year, um, and that's a seasonal business, largely seasonal, depending on where you are. If you get further south into uh, into Florida, Texas, it's more year round. Uh, but not, you know, another great business, very unprofessional industry. So anything you can do to increase the professionalism of an industry is always really well received. So uh, we feel great about that business as well. And talk a little bit about the, the residential cleaning business. I, I had this feeling, I think I heard a statistic, whether I got this from you or picked it up elsewhere, I'm not sure I remembered it, but I think I read that if you took all of the franchise brands in that space and combined their collective market share, they'd still be just about 10% of the available opportunities. Is that is that something that I heard from you? It wasn't. It wasn't from me, but I've heard a. I've heard a similar number, and uh, there, there's no question. I mean, when we looked at that business, one of the things that we saw was a lot of the large franchisors. You know, whether it's Molly Maid, the Cleaning Authority, Maid Brigade, Two Maids, and a number of them. Um, if you look at where they have sold their locations, many of them are sold out in, in, in the larger MSAs. So just by virtue of having another solid offering backed by a strong franchisor and making them available in those large MSAs, we just feel like there's an opportunity there. But um, but it is a fragmented base. I think there's there's lots of lots of uh, lots of room to grow that that business for sure. And you did you made some choices that are different than the typical color schemes and things that are seen in home cleaning businesses. Talk a little bit about that kind of deliberation, about what goes into building that brand and what are the things that uh, emerging franchisors or even um, not yet franchising, but on this program listening to learn how, what are some tips you would share about uh, those kinds of thought processes that go into birthing of the brand? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. You know, I, I'm I'm very fortunate to have one of my senior team, my chief marketing officer, Angela Angela Pauls. She's really, you know, exceptional about thinking through issues like this. Uh, you know, when we acquired Mosquito Joe, their logo and their positioning of their brand was really like all the other competitors that were out there. You know, they had a there was a little bug on the logo, a mosquito on the logo. Um, and you know, we just felt like there was something different that could be received, and so we ended up creating, you know, rebranding that entire company. Uh, and, and we never use bugs. In fact, what we use is we, we used a lot of humor in Mosquito Joe. So things like um, 
if you decide not, you know, we would send out direct mail pieces, bright yellow cards, and the caption would be, if you decide not to use this card, um, if you decide not to call us, please use this card for swatting. Um, or, you know, are, are, are you tired of donating blood on the way to the mailbox? You know, these were all things that would really resonate. And then that, that, that whole idea of using humor really then uh, evolved with our franchisees where we started having competitions for who got to have the, the, the sayings on the next year's direct mail pieces and everything. So it really evolved that customers, our view was if customers get a laugh when they're looking at something, that's going to be memorable. Now, humor, as you probably know, is very difficult to do and do well. And so that's where, you know, Angela and her, her team that she assembled were really good at, at policing and making sure that everybody stuck to brand standards. And so when it came time for, uh, you'd asked about Home Clean Heroes. When it came time for Home Clean Heroes, we looked at we looked at the business, you know. And one of the things we saw was that um, almost every every cleaning company had the word made in it, with the exception of the cleaning authority. Everybody else had the word made, and you know, our view was made was um, was sort of a tired old term. I mean, it was just it was just something. And this is our perspective. And I'm not I, I don't I don't want anybody to hear this and feel like I'm being critical of all these other great companies that have started like Molly May right. and maybe right. and others, because I think they've done a, a wonderful job and they've really paved the way for, for others like us who, you know, they've professionalized an industry that uh, is, is really important. But, you know, for any newcomer coming in, like we were, we need to figure out how we differentiate ourselves in the marketplace. And, you know, when I looked at cleaning authority, you know, and, and, you know, Tim Vankovich, as you, and I know, you know, Tim, you know, I think yep. I think he, he and his partner did a wonderful job with cleaning authority, and uh, not only just from the name of how they how they how they position it differently, but the support they provided the franchisees in terms of customer acquisition, where the with the direct mail program being a cornerstone of what they what they did, and they have franchisees that are producing very high unit level uh, economics, unit level revenue numbers, and so. You know, part of that playbook we've adopted for our brands, um, but we wanted. To, but when we came to market, we wanted to do something different. So we wanted. So we called the business Home Clean Heroes, and our maids, in our view, are heroes to us. I mean, what they do is they they leave that home and they make people they make themselves feel good about the job that they did, but they also make our customers feel great that when they come home from work, the place is clean. And so we called them heroes. We we play a little bit off of you know we wear. You know, we wear capes. We don't wear aprons. You know, there's there's a lot of stuff <laughs> that we can be fun with. And uh, and you know, I'm I'm not I'm barely scratching the surface of what 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 Angela and Kathy Turley, who's our director of marketing, can really really do with that brand. But they've really woven in a lot of um, you know warm, friendly stuff. What what it's done is it's really helped us with the retention of our of our heroes. I mean. In the last year, we've had very little turnover in that space at all, which is also notoriously high for turnover. Um, our view is if we can keep our team, the same team together working, whether it's the senior team at my level or it's the people that are our heroes or our technicians in the field, the same people working on the same homes, that's going to drive our, our customer retention. And those are things that we're seeing that are working for us. So, you know, so we came to market with some different colors. You know, we got fresh colors. Um, some some yellows, some some light greens, and I'm not even doing the colors justice. And I know Kathy and Angela are probably squirming when they hear this, but 
but but they, but it's a it's a beautiful palette that's uh, that's soft, that's fresh, that people would look at and say, you know, this this seems really nice. New cars that are that our heroes can drive as well. So, um, you know, you, you're saying you're forgetting things and you're delving too deeply into something that seems to me to be so important. I think that the audience benefits tremendously by hearing the amount of thought and the depth of thought that's gone into each of these things, right down to the colors. That these yeah. aren't these aren't incidental events. These are carefully thought out uh, when you're giving birth to a concept. I mean, when you take on a British swim school, there's not too much you can do to change what's come before you because there's, you know, that hundred or so out there already, the brand is branded. Um, you can make subtle changes perhaps over time, but when you yeah. bring in one to market that you're giving birth to, an awful lot gets done besides just creating an FDD and an ops manual on your way to franchising and I think that I'd like for you to spend a minute if you would talking about proof of concept as well I mean home clean heroes you've been operating for over a year before you begin franchising so I'd like for you to spend a, a little bit of time sharing with the audience the importance in your mind of proof of concept yeah that's that's and and, and home clean heroes is, is is a really good uh, case study for that I'm just going to be you know super transparent with you and, and your team when we launched Home Clean Heroes, there were a lot of things that we knew that we would we did well. Um, the, the branding, the positioning. Um, we knew that once we had something to sell, once the unit economics had proven themselves out, we knew that we could do franchise development well. A mistake that we made was in our marketing, we um, we went to market similar to the way we went to market with Mosquito Joe and advertising. Is our view was we could hook the customer into trying us. Once they tried us, we'd be able to retain them, uh, and we did that by by using price as a, a as a lever. So the call to action on the direct mail or any of our marketing pieces was, you know, get get your initial clean for X dollar, whatever it was, ninety nine dollars. Get your initial clean for ninety nine dollars or seventy five dollars. And um, not surprisingly, the phone was ringing, uh, ringing a lot. Uh, but when we when we look back on it, you know, six months in, and we look at the customer churn that we were having, and we looked at our our sales uh, approach to it and the positioning. You know, we, we made a mistake. We were we were taking on customers that we shouldn't have been taking on. People were simply taking advantage of this one-time opportunity because of the price. And so we 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 went through a a fundamental change in how we approached the customer. So um, no longer would we were we discounting. Number one. Uh, number two, we were uh, we, we decided to take an approach of doing in-home estimates as opposed to doing it over the phone like we had done before. Um, we spent an enormous amount of time thinking through um, the routing of the cars and the and trucks, even more so than with Mosquito Joe. There were things with Mosquito Joe that were, were more forgiving than they are in this business. And so there were a number of things that we did, Stan, where we just – you know, I would say eight, nine months ago, did a complete pivot. Um, and we said, if we do all of these eight or nine things, whatever they were different than we did here, we believe that that's what it was going to take to have it come out the other end as a very solid opportunity. And um, and it, it, I'll give credit to Joe DeLock, Kathy, the whole team there, because, you know, th there were a lot of very difficult times where we're sitting in this meeting, we're having to force change and get change. And they they accepted it. They embraced it. Um, 
and now we've got a uh, we've got a company that I believe is 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 really just you know just firing on all cylinders. It's really working. Our retention is high. Our average unit unit uh, sale per customer is very high. The, the unproductive time is way down because of the routing efficiencies. The, our net promoter score is incredibly high when we track that. It's gone. It's gone. You know, we're, we're close to 70% on our net promoter score, up from something that was somewhere in the neighborhood of 35 or 40%. So all the metrics that are important to track have all gone in the right direction. So we feel really good about it. But you know, we weren't we weren't going to be willing to recruit a franchisee until we were confident that we had figured out our business model and that it was a scalable unit economic model. And so it, it took some time and it took a lot of introspection. But anyways, we got there, we did it, and it feels really good. So, yeah, second brand still made mistakes, but we were able to pivot quickly. Well, but it all says to me that you're a responsible franchisor. You know, when you buy a brand that's established, you can go and see the footprint of many units and see what they look like and how the brand's performing. But when you're right. starting one up out of the ground, there's a whole lot to consider uh, and proof of concept is something that I'm a big advocate of, and I think there are others out there who don't think it's quite as important. Um, I just scratch my head when somebody doesn't spend the amount of time detailing the important issues right down the colors of uniforms or capes instead of aprons or whatever else went into some of those massive decisions that others might have just glossed right by and didn't give a second thought to. Let's it's talk really a little important. bit about yeah. Yes. Yes, it is. Let's talk a little about the franchising side of, of life now that we've got uh, a trifecta of brands under the Buzz franchise umbrella. Um, how are you going to market with opportunities? Are you going to be doing combos or trombos, or are you going to be making your offers individually, and will they be to area development or toward single owner-operator models? Yeah, um, so, so great question. So, you know, um, British Swim School is now is now part as part of the families we've discussed. Uh, we are um, about to relaunch that franchise development program. You know, you you, you mentioned earlier, Stan, about you know the, the British Swim School has a footprint now. They've got a brand. You can make some nuanced changes on the brand, but it's it's pretty much out there. And and, and I agree with that. The area where we saw a very large opportunity where they weren't as strong in is one is on the franchise development side. Uh, which I'll talk about here in a, in a moment. And then the other one is a lot of the back office stuff. We just we just finished a um, a couple of days with some of their top franchisees in here. And you know what they're asking for is the same stuff that all responsible franchisees ask for. They want data to be able to make decision, and they're not able to get that data. And so there's a lot of a lot of tools and techniques that we have that we use that we're going to impart and, and share with them to allow them to be better decision makers and, and hopefully grow their, grow their business um, better than what it was. But, but back to franchise development. So with, with, um, with, uh, with British Swim School, with all the brands uh, at a very high level, I think it's important to be able to have a strong organic development program. And so all of our, all of our brands will have dedicated resources and funds allocated to, you know, our website portals, um, grassroots stuff that's organic leads that we generate coming in. Um, and then all of them over time will also be in the consultant channels as well. So British Swim School will be the first to enter there uh, with FranChoice, FranNet, and others. Um, they will be, they'll be selling um, at most probably three territories. 
uh, and what will likely be, in, in, in most cases on average, probably two, two and a half territories. And so you'd ask about a development strategy. I'm just a big believer in, especially in a territory-based model like what, what we do with British Swim School and our other brands, is just having a you know, having an operator that can figure out how to get one territory right, and then we help them scale to grow other territories. And mm-hmm. so if, if, if you get somebody that's well capitalized and they want to take down three territories because they want to have adjacent territories, that's great. But let's open one territory. Let's figure it out, learn the business, learn the nuances of the business, and then begin to grow and add those territories and open them. And the, the other part of my question was about selling across the brands. Will you entertain oh. people who are looking like for the seasonality problem with yeah. Uh, the pool scout maybe somebody there wants to own another opportunity that's got some more seasonality to it than or less seasonality to it than yeah. it yeah i i think that's a good question so we had we we had um at mosquito joe it was a seasonal business and we had a lot of people ask us you know what are you going to do to bounce the other part of the season we also had a, a large number of people that liked the seasonal part of the business and so we were more likely to um entertain having them add another brand, then we weren't trying to do something to the existing brand to, to force it to, you know, act in a counter seasonal way. You know, our, our view, our view on allowing somebody to add another brand, um, th- that in many ways, is a very easy decision for us because we've got, we've got proof of their abilities in our existing brand. So really what they have to be able to demonstrate to us is one, do they have the, do they have the money to be able to do it? And that's a minor one. That, that's, that's a, they either do or they don't. Um, two, do they truly have the desire? Is this something that they're, they're, they're passionate about that they want to do and build a business? And three, the one where we've got most insight but still have to make a judgment call is, do they have the managerial abilities to scale into a different, a different sector, a different brand, and grow that? Do they... Do they have the internal resources where they're going to, you know, add people? How have they developed their people? Uh, so those are all questions that we would we would ask. And then if we felt like there were there were people that were capable, then the answer would be yes. Um, we didn't have any. It, it was early days, but before we sold to Dwyer, but we didn't have anybody in um, in Mosquito Joe that chose to add either Pool Scouts or Home Clean Heroes. Got it. So. I'm going to ask you to, in the time left to us, to kind of rub the crystal ball and give a look out there three, four, five years perhaps and tell us what we should expect to see in terms of what's going on at Buzz Franchise Brands. Will there be deeper growth and depth on the three that are already under the umbrella? Will there be three more? What's ahead? Yep. Uh, So first and foremost is a focus on uh, right now, on uh, onboarding British swim schools to the same to the same standards that we have across uh, our other two brands, um, and then and then heavy focus on growing these three brands. Um, if they can if they can grow like I believe they can grow based on our experience, then I think a, a year from now, two years from now, we'll entertain adding additional additional brands. But I think we just we need to stay focused right now on these three. We got three. They're all at, as you mentioned earlier. They're all at various stages. So I want to stay focused on those three. But but certainly it's uh, we feel we're good at what we do, and um, it's always interesting adding adding new new opportunities. So I would if I'm five years out from now, I would 
I would hope we'd be in a position where we had five to seven uh, brands uh, as part of our uh, under the Buzz franchise brands umbrella. Before I ask you to help the audience find you again with some information about how to contact you and get in touch to talk further, um, I always like to wrap up the interview by asking my guests if there's anything that I missed that you wished I would have asked you, because if there is, this is a perfect time to tell me. That's a, another good question. I think you, you hit on everything. I, I talked a little bit about culture. Uh, probably culture is one of those things I could have talked about for, for the whole show. Um, I just I can't emphasize enough how important it is to get the right culture and the right working environment for the team that you hire because they're ultimately the team that will make the franchisees successful and provide them the support. So as long as you keep your team happy, you're going to keep your franchisees happy and get some good people. So um, other than that, I've really enjoyed our conversation today, Stan. Thanks for having me on the show. Well, I believe that you actually wove the word culture without speaking to it directly. Everything you've demonstrated today, everything you've talked about, and the passion with which you've talked about it has all demonstrated how important that cultural piece is to you. And, and I appreciate you taking the time to be with us today. Before we let you go, let the audience know how they can find you. Yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm on LinkedIn, uh, Kevin Wilson, Buzz Franchise Brands, or you can email me at kwilson at buzzfranchisebrands.com. Kevin, can't thank you enough and appreciate you and nothing but success. Uh, ahead, I'm sure. We'll be keeping an eye on things, and I'm certain we'll be inviting you back here not too far down the road when some of these mile markers ahead have been crossed and you've created some, some new metrics that we can talk to the audience about and, again, demonstrate how lightning didn't just strike once for this guy. He's got the roadmap, and he's going to do it again. Thank you so much for being with us, Kevin. Thank you, Stan. Have a good day. Another great interview, and literally, I can't, you know, in the space of an hour, you could spend an hour with a, with a gentleman like this on any one of these topics, much less trying to go across um, not one, two, three, but four brands, if you count Mosquito Joe in, in the mix. Um, a, lot of, a lot of learnings there, so I'm really happy that we were able to, uh, to carve out the time and have him with us here today. Next week, I'm joined by Nick Powell's founder and CEO of No Limit Agency, a communications firm that many of us in franchising are familiar with. Uh, they are a complete franchise media consulting firm. Uh, what that means is they consult on building a branding strategy, a media strategy, and through public relations, marketing, advertising, and innovative, imaginative, and creative events, they create ideas that promote and grow franchise brands. I, too, want to thank Kevin Devin Klein, for joining us last week, CEO of Burn Bootcamp. I uh, should have mentioned that at the top of the hour, but don't want to let it go without thanking Devin again for his time with us here last week. And when we're back next week with Nick Powell, we're looking forward to talking with you and seeing you then. And until then, I'm Stan Friedman wishing you the best, the very best of all things franchising. And Franchise Today is out. Franchise Today is a production of FRM Solutions, providing best-in-class CRM tools to empower relationships with prospective and existing franchisees. No excuses, just solutions. Find them online at frmsolutions.com. Join Stan every Wednesday at noon Eastern for another live episode of Franchise Today. Or, as always, download episodes on demand at blogtalkradio.com or iTunes.